about week 11 out of 12 of the Sermon on the Mount. This series has been going through it. Uh, it's been encouraging for you as we've gone through the most important and most impactful message ever given in all of human history. Um, I hope if you haven't gained something, then I don't know what's wrong with you because it's the most impactful message that's ever been given in human history. And of course, if you missed some of it, you can find it in the Bible, uh, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And of course, uh, if you like my messages on it, at least it's on our website as well. But if we get to this point near the end, typically when you get near the end of a message in a good sermon, there's going to be a climax, right? There's going to be a part at which like everything is kind of leading to. And that's really what we get to finally at these last two weeks. Uh, it, like this week is really the climax of what Jesus is giving, the, the declaration of God's kingdom, the great rebellion against dark, darkness, right? The, a whole new way of being human. This declaration of, a, of, a, of, a, of a, a kingdom of light and of goodness, of a better life. This is the most amazing uh, message what the sermon is all about. And then it gets to this point and and we, we get to this, this big thing today we talk about. It's, it's the big so what. And then next week, he finishes then kind of the challenge. It's a good one. It's a big one. And so let's talk about how we got here. We started at the very beginning of the message with the Beatitudes, where Jesus, he begins by deconstructing people's ideas of how a revolution would work, that God's kingdom was going to be fundamentally different, that they thought that there was going to be an earthly Messiah that was going to be a general, was going to kill all those dirty Romans and then take all of those secular Jewish people, and he was going to purify the, the nation and the world by, by an iron fist and by this top-down approach, right, from outside righteousness that would force people to become and act righteous on the inside, right? That's, that's what they were expecting. And Jesus said, no, that's not how my kingdom's going to work. It's going to be the opposite. In fact, his kingdom's going to start on the inside that's going to change everything from the outside, so in the person and then in your families and then in your town and then in the world. Right? He had a different kind of kingdom. This Messiah wasn't going to be top down. He's going to build his kingdom from the ground up. It's going to be durable and dependable, fundamentally different than the ways of this world. And that's why he said his kingdom is not going to be like the kingdoms of this world. It's going to require something called faith, which means that we're going to have to trust that God's way is going to be, is going to be how it's going to happen. It's not going to be our way. That this is not going to be a kingdom that's going to be run by human ideas because human ideas lead to the human world, which we see now. And our world's messed up. Everybody doing what they think is right in their own eyes, and it's wrong. All of us know it. So his kingdom's not going to be like a human kingdom. Not going to have human ideas. It's going to have superhuman ideas. You know, superhuman ways. It's going to be so fundamentally different that none, not one person amongst us is going to be able to say, yeah, God's kingdom makes perfect sense to me. It's going to require faith. He's calling us up and beyond ourselves. And not just faith, but faithfulness. That if we want to be part of this kingdom, it's going to be more than just head knowledge. It's more than just believing the right things. It's going to be becoming the right people. And so there's an element of faith that God's calling us to a different way. And then this agreement as we breathe our lives into submission to this new kingdom. As we do that, God begins to grow us, change us from the inside out. To build his kingdom from the ground up. It's the most amazing thing. And then he teaches this other principle that it's worth it. 
Because as this process happens, we're going to run directly into the teeth of this world and the teeth of the enemy. And it's going to be painful sometimes because it's just not going to fit us right until we're transformed. It's going to feel wrong. It's going to go against our culture and our world. And there's going to be sacrifices. There's going to be a time, a short time, but a time of, of, of suffering. That's what we're experiencing a little bit. I mean, a time of sacrifice, a time of, of yeah, this kingdom that we're called to doesn't quite fit us yet. I still have to live by faith, but it's worth it. It is the only kingdom that fills the heart's desire. It's the only one that's dependable and durable. It's the only kingdom that's actually light and right. So God gives us, he starts with these, these principles of the kingdom, right? And then he, he shows us then the character of his kingdom. And he moves from that, he talks about the character of his kingdom is not going to be a bunch of religious do-gooders that are living in these religious cages that just don't do bad things. And that's the sum of the law. That's what religion does, what ethics do, is they take a bad person and they make them not act bad, although the person still remains bad. That's why we continue to need the law that says don't lie, because let's be fair, if there wasn't that rule in the Bible, most of us, all, all of us, would be liars, and, and we have to have these rules like, let's not kill each other. Because if God didn't tell us not to kill each other and the government wasn't there saying, shouldn't kill each other, guess what? There'd be a lot fewer people. That's what I'm saying. Now, here's the thing. That religion is good in that it cages the beast. It's like going to a zoo. I don't want to go to a zoo where all the wild animals are running feral. We need society with religion. But his kingdom was going to be fundamentally different from the inside out. He's going to open the cage. His law wasn't going to be abolished. He's not just getting rid of the cage and leaving the beasts the way the beasts are. He's going to change the beasts into something civil, something amazing. He's going to fulfill the law. And so, in God's kingdom, we, we have this transformation of the very soul. Where we, we're not going to be in heaven worrying about being murdered because no one's going to be a murderer. Right? We don't have to be in God's kingdom Wondering about, is that person telling me the truth? Because fundamentally, we are just truth tellers. We don't have to worry about things like adultery in God's kingdom because at a very core level, we're just faithful. That's fulfillment of the law. That's the character and the nature of God's kingdom. And that's where ultimately when we get to heaven, that's going to be the citizenry. I'm pretty happy about that. Well, and then he, as he moves from that and he gives some examples of the character of his kingdom, then he goes then to the benefits of his kingdom, the kingdom lifestyle. And he gives three just examples. Like if you get to be part of his kingdom, these are the benefits. If you, if you want to go through and be part of his kingdom, this is what you're going to enjoy. And he starts off with, with our even understanding of, of things, of wealth, right? He says, listen, you can actually be free from the bondage of slavery to money. It doesn't have to be your master anymore. You don't have to live your life always worried about, am I going to have enough? I'm going to eke out a living, living under that curse. Jesus died and set us free from that curse, part of his kingdom now. We can put money in his, its place. We can have mastery over things. But the rest of the world serves their entire lives, living, you know, worried about how they're going to have money and how they're going to take care of things and how they're going to eat. He says, God said, no, that's not the curse you live under anymore. You're above that. You can actually be a master over wealth. You can tell it where to go, which is really fun. But it begins when we have the ability to put God in his place, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness above all else. Then he takes care of those things. So we have this great ability to have a different understanding of wealth. We're living outside the curse. What a great thing. 
Then last week he talks about how we can actually exercise right judgment. The, the people of this world, humans, we do what's right in our own eyes, and we have messed up judgments. Why we do so many dumb stuff? That's why the world's so messed up. And so it's not as though like we, we continue to live like well, like I would my own judgment myself. I like to condemn people because it's fun, right? I like to say I'm better than that person, and this is how, and I want them to know it. And, and that kind of judgment that's condemnation that leads to pain and hurt is something that we don't have to live under anymore. That's the way of the world. But in God's kingdom, we can have a different and a better judgment, a right judgment, where we can actually discern truth from error, right from wrong, which is what the world's never been able to do ever since the, the fall or spiritually our eyes were blinded. We couldn't do that. We had no ability to truly discern. But now you can discern. Now you have the ability to see truth from error. You've been given a new spirit of righteousness. And so we can judge more rightly, not to condemn others, which leads to pain, but to discern truth, which leads to healing. Because I can finally see what's wrong in my life. I can finally figure out, why is it that I have such difficult time seeing the world the way it is? Oh, I got a log in my eye. Let me remove that log. And I can see more clearly, and it's more comfortable. And as God begins to give me this ability to discern truth, I actually have the ability to help others. Not to condemn them in my judgment and say, I'm better than you. But I say, man, I had a log on my eye, and you got a little bit of that speck in there too. And let me tell you how you can get that out. Not to... To, to lay them down, but to help pull them up so that they don't have to walk around. I was wondering, why does my eye hurt? So we can judge rightly. What an amazing thing in his kingdom. Today he gives the third just example. It's always an example, but I think the culmination, the greatest thing that we gain in his kingdom, and it's this, is that we can actually find God. It's what the heart of, of all humans has always been, right? It's why we have all these religions, trying to find God. What does God want from me? And, and doing all these religious acts and making all these sacrifices and doing all the stuff, trying to just find God. And Jesus says, guess what? In my kingdom, you found him. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them to Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. I'm going to have the words on the screen, but you can't take notes on my screen. So just open up your Bible if it's there. And here's what, we, what Jesus has to say. He says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. Now which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? So in everything, do to others what you'd have them do for you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. And this amazing passage where Jesus is giving this example of His kingdom, we can find God. He, there's actually three teachings that He gives us, uh, three powerful points that they, they lead to that are, are amazing. And the first teaching he gives is about asking, seeking, and knocking. Now, you, in our language, it's, it's not as easy to see, but in the Greek, which this was recorded in, it's, it's in a present imperative form, the verb, asking and seeking and knocking, which means this. It, it would be like the saying, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Find or, or knock and keep on knocking. Because the one who asks and keeps on asking is going to keep on 
getting answered. And the one who seeks and keeps on seeking is going to keep on finding. And the one who knocks and keeps on knocking is going to keep having that door open for them. Now that's powerful. Because I think oftentimes what we think is like uh, going to meet God is going to be this thing where we, we just have this aha moment and then it's all over. Right? We found him. I ask, I have all my, I have the answer. That's it. I saw him. That's it. That, that, that's I, I, as far as I can go. That's why some people are, are legitimately afraid of heaven. Because eternity is a long time. And they think, man, I'm going to see God and then it's going to be cool for a little while, maybe a trillion years. And after a while, we're like, oh yeah, that's God. You fail to understand the magnitude of eternity and infinity. That God is infinitely deep. You're never going to get to the end of his goodness. Ever, never, never. In fact, however far you've seen God's goodness, he's infinitely better than that. Right? His ways are so much higher and better than ways. There's not ever going to come a point in your life where you've fully attained and you've got all of the godliness and that's it and there's nothing else to learn, nothing else to experience, no other goodness to gain. There's always an infinite amount more of goodness and knowledge and understanding and joy and peace to have. But you don't have to wait to the hereafter to begin to experience it here and now. See, the Christian faith is not about just going and having the big answer. Sometimes we've got to ask and we keep on asking, but here's the cool thing. God's going to keep on answering. He's going to be there. He invites the questions. You got doubts? Start talking to him. You got questions? Go after him. It's not that he might answer, and I love this. It's not asking, then there's like a certain number, like you have a quota. Then you go to God and be like, God, I've, I really wonder about this. And he's like, well, Aaron, you've asked 4,655 things so far this week. No more. You're cut off. Everyone who asks is answered. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who, who knocks has the door opened. And there's no limit. And there's no limit to the finding. There's no limit to, to having the doors opened. There's no limit to the adventure with God. I'm excited about that. And it begins now. See, what, what this Jesus teaches us is this, is that God isn't hiding from us. I think a lot of people think that God's hiding from us because, because before we come to faith, we're, we're looking for him in the wrong kingdom, and he's not there. That God isn't, he's not in the other religions. That's just not a place that he is. Roads that lead other places, he's not there. He's not in, he's not in the worship of money or the worship of this world, or the worship of self, the worship of things. They're going to find him there, but it doesn't mean he's hiding. In fact, he's revealed himself very clearly in the world and that he created in the word which he's given us in the incarnation of Christ, but also in the daily transformation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God wants to be found. He's not hiding from you. Yes, right now he's invisible because your bodies are not sanctified yet and you'd be vaporized if you saw him and so that's not something he wants for you. But, Someday you're going to have sanctified bodies, just like you have a sanctified spirit, and you're going to see him as he is. That's going to be pretty cool. But in the meantime, he's not hiding. He's there, and he's wanting you to pursue him. And I want you to know that, that there is a, there's a, a, an increase of, of intensity in this. That you ask, and then that, that's, that's pretty passive, right? But then you've got to seek. You go after him, and you've got to get to that point where you, you kind of figure out where he's at, and then you've got to knock on the door and keep pounding. He's going to open it up, but he's not hiding. Why the action? Because 
God's not for this the lazy. It's not like you could just show up, you know, just, you know, put your feet up on the couch and eat potato chips and, and watch soap operas and be like, well, when God wants to speak in my life, I guess he will. That's not how it works. He's in his kingdom and he invites you in. But if you have serious questions, you ask him, he's going to be there. If you're really seeking God, he's not going to hide himself from you. If you, if you really want his ways in your life, he's going to open them up. He's not going to make it hard. God's not hiding from you, not at all. In fact, he longs to be found, and it's the invitation. Here I am, says God. Come. And what does it say at the end of Revelation? Right? He stands at the door and knocks. And he says to all that are hungry, come and be fed. All who are thirsty, come and drink. Right? Knock, and the door's going to be opened. It's a promise. And not, not that it might be. And you're included in that everyone. So ask, seek, and knock. God isn't hiding. The second thing he teaches in there is that God gives good gifts. Because what a lousy thing would it be to find God if he was a trickster? What a horrible thing would it be to find God if he wasn't really very nice? Because he's got a lot of power. Like if, if we were seeking for God and then we got there and he's like, well, look at you, you big old sinner. Here's some smiting for you. Smite, smite, smite. Not what I'd want. So Jesus follows up with the ask, seek, knock with this teaching here. He says, hey, you, even though you're evil people, I'm like, well, Jesus, that hurts, but true. If you're evil father, you know how to give good gifts to your kids. Like if you ask your kids to ask for a, a bread, you're not giving them a rock or fish. You're not going to give them a snake. You're not, you're, even though evil can do good things for your kids, why would we think God is any different? Like he's better than us. He's not a heavenly trickster, and a lot of people think he is. And that's why we sometimes don't actively ask, seek, and knock, because we don't trust the character of God. We're like, God, if I really give my life to you, you're going to trick me, and you're going to make me live in a tent in Africa somewhere, and I'll eat bugs all the time. I don't want that. God, if I really pursue you, and I give my life to you, you're going to make me die to myself, and then I'm just going to be miserable the rest of my life. Well, all my friends can have all this fun, and here I am just being miserable, pitiful, righteous old me, right? That God's going to trick us. Or maybe even if I don't pray with precision the exact right words that he's going to, like a leprechaun, use my words against me, and, and then I'm going to get something that I don't want, but technically is what I asked for. This is not your God. And God doesn't give rocks to people, his children, who need bread. You don't have to be like so precise. How could God twist this to use it against me? He's not a heavenly trickster. And a lot of times people think, well, he's a heavenly trickster, but I deserve it because I'm such a wicked person. I get it. Like if I was God, I would probably do that to me too. He's not that way because God's not like you. He gives good gifts, which means this point is that God isn't holding out on us. We have to own that and believe it. That God's ways in his kingdom are not a, a, a second-rate way of living. And we say that, and we say, oh, yeah, I get it. God's ways are right. But then it comes down into our own lives, and then we have pause. Because God invites us into righteous living, and we're like, but if I do that, can I really trust you, God? Because I don't know if I could trust you. For example, when Amy and I were learning how to honor God and worship him with our finances, I really struggled with God on this. I mean, I really did. I was like, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you with 1%, but I don't trust that you got everything else, right? Because 
there are going to be things that come up. I, I don't think that you're going to. So I'm going to hedge my bets. I'm going to be faithful as much as I think I can trust you. But I really don't think that you really got me. And then 2% and then 3% and 4 and 5 and 6 and 7. And then we went to 9 because we had a really faithful feeling. In the, right? And then we got to 10 and then we realized that God owns everything. And then what I realized is God was never holding. I've never been able to outgive God, ever. Or how about this? I had a guy in my life that was really hard for me to forgive just did some awful things to my family. And, and I just, I was like, God, I don't want to forgive this dude. I want you to smite him. I'd like you to smite him right now, like right this minute, right in front of me. And I want to laugh at him. I want to laugh at him right now, right before you smite him. And then I want you to smite him. And then I want to laugh at his smited corpse. That's what I want to do because I'm an evil human. And God said, no, Aaron, I, I want a better way for you. And my fear was this. If I forgive him, God, then you're just going to let everything off the hook and, 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 and I'm just going to be the sucker right? That, that, that just allowed this awful thing to happen. But here's what I found is I was in prison to anger and rage that this person was occupying my own heart and my mind and was robbing me of joy and was keeping me living as a person I didn't even like. And so I began the process of forgiving and begrudgingly so, only because I had a really good pastor who was my mentor at the time who was just like, you need to do this. And so I did. But God wasn't holding out on me. See, God gave me vindication at the end. He gave me ability to not be held captive to old pain. You see, God has, has given me an amazing ability to see that his gifts are actually good. And I know that in our cult, current culture, there's a lot of ways that we just don't trust God. I think one of the biggest ways right now is in the, uh, our keeping marriage, sanct uh, like the sanctity of marriage and, and the sanctity of the marriage bed. I mean, just we are a sexually perverse people. And why? Even in the church. Why are we so sexually perverse? Because we don't trust God's ways are, are going to be the best ways. We see our friends and everybody else in the world having all kinds of fun. And we think to ourselves, well, I could do that, and God's grace will forgive me. But can I really trust that if I really, like, he's not going to bring me that person. If I wait, if I wait on him, if I try, I'm not going to, he's not going to, he's going to hold out on me. He's going to make me miserable in all this purity. I'm going to follow him, and he's going to deny me the desires of my heart. The ones he built for me, he's going to do that. But I could get it the way I want to the rest of the world. But what's going to happen is the world's ways do hold out on you. That's what the devil did from the very beginning. That's what temptation does. It gets you 99% of the way there, and then there's no fulfillment. That's why billionaires are all worried about money. That's why people who are really famous and celebrities in this world have all this anxiety and all this, this feelings of depression. That's why, because the world can't satisfy the heart, but God can, and his ways lead to that. And if we would just trust him that he's not holding out you like really that his way the christian life is not a second rate way of being it's not a miserable life that someday has a great reward it is a great life that leads to a great reward it's great <laughs> he's not holding out on you brothers he's not holding out on you sisters believe it and how do we know he's not holding out on us because the greatest thing that god could give us is salvation of our souls by the sacrifice of his son. And if God did not withhold his own son for our behalf, why would we think he would withhold anything else? So we trust him with our lives. 
And there are times in our life we need to sacrifice because the things we need to sacrifice are the very things that are keeping us from being sanctified, are the very things from keeping us from being satisfied. But God is for you and he's not against you. He gives good gifts and he's not holding out. And because of that, the third teaching he moves right into is the golden rule. He said, so treat other people the way you'd like to be treated. And do you know that Jesus didn't come up with this? Well, maybe he's God, so he comes up with everything. I suppose. But he wasn't the first to articulate it. There was a very important rabbi that lived about 10 centuries before Jesus. Hillel, he, he wrote part of the, the Talmud, right? It was a very formative for the, for the Jewish community and thought, and Jesus would have learned some of his teachings and this. And what, what he said was this. Don't treat other people the way you wouldn't want to be treated. And Jesus says, treat others the way you would want to be treated. Do you see the difference? Because it's huge. Helio went back to the very best religion could offer, a cage. I know you want to smack that person in the face. Don't do it, because you don't want to be smacked in the face. And so that's a good thing to think. So when I'm driving, you know, up to the church, and there's some fool who's all amazed that God's glory all around us decides to drive all slow, like, whoa, look at the mountains, and look at the beauty, and hey, there's elk, right? <laughs> Keeping me from being where I want to be. I have to remind myself not to tailgate, because I don't want to be tailgated. It's a good lesson. But here's the thing. It doesn't change me from being a tailgater. Like, inside, I'm tailgating in my heart. <laughs> right? And let's remember that God's kingdom came to fulfill the law. So it's good not to do other people we don't want to be done, but Jesus takes it that next step and says, now, now in his kingdom, you have the ability to actually do for other people, treat them the way you want to be treated. And I want you to get the the, the brilliance of this, that in God's kingdom, when we're in heaven, it's not just like we're going to be up there not doing bad things to one another. It's not like when we get to heaven and, you know, the heavenly grocery store, there's going to be a checkout line with 15 item limit and there's going to be some fool who would have 16 items that he, like, that's not going to ever happen. Like, no one's going to do that kind of stuff to other people, right? The, granted, but it's not going to be legalistic. It's not that we're going to be up there constantly not doing bad things. That in heaven, the citizenry is this. Everybody's going to treat everyone else the way they would like to be treated all the time in every situation. That's a place I want to live. But we can begin now. Because God's, his law is being fulfilled in our hearts. He's got a better way for us to be. His, his word and his Holy Spirit are working in tandem. He's changing us, rewriting us from the inside out. His kingdom is coming alive in us. And we have the capacity to actually be agents of good in this world. So I can be kind instead of just not being mean, right? I can be actually forgiving instead of not being vindictive, right? I can be generous instead of not being selfish. I, I, can, I can practice, you know, purity instead of just not being lustful. I can be a different human now, 
Right? This is one of the most amazing things. And what it means is this, is that God is healing us. It's that His gifts are good and they're there for our healing. Do you understand what, what happens in this, this transformation? When the golden rule becomes part of us and who we are? It undoes the poison of Eden. That, that horrible fruit that Adam and Eve ate from so long ago in the garden was this. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil in which the temptation was this. Adam and Eve, stop doing what God wants. Don't, don't worry about his desire for your life. What's your desire for your life? You want more knowledge? You want to have your own ability to make what you say is right and wrong, your decision, what, what's moral in your own life? You want that? Yeah, and that's what they ate, and that's what happened. And as a result, humans have become inherently selfish and, and prideful. We make the world revolve around ourselves, and we do what's right in our own eyes, and we do what benefits us, and we always think about us as number one, taking care of number one first. That's who we are. That's why we have problems in our marriages. That's why we have problems in our businesses. That's why we have problems in our culture. I mean, think about it. That's why we have mobs now that are just stealing from stores. They're not thinking about anybody but themselves and the short things they can get. We are destroying ourselves and have been destroying ourselves since the very beginning because of selfishness. And Jesus said, now there is a a new law that will be an operative inside of you, one that is not selfishness any longer, but you will be selfless. We're going to be thinking about other people. We're going to be thinking about God. We are free and are being purged from and healed from that awful ancient poison. That's what God's doing. The deepest, most profound healing of the soul and this is what's offered to his people in his kingdom. And the greatest part is, is that recognize that this golden rule starts first with God. I mean, we want to see how it's practiced. Look how he's treated us. That's why we know his gifts are good. God has given to us what's best in our good. He treated us the way that he wants to be treated, with, with, with graciousness and kindness and loyalty and fidelity. That God gave to us everything, and, and he, he did it freely and willingly with joy. That God is not asking us as humans to treat each other in a way that he hasn't first and continues to treat us now. A way that says, hey, you got questions? Keep asking. You need direction? Keep seeking. Right? You need help, opportunity? Keep knocking. I'm here. I'm not holding out. I'm not giving you bad things. I'm not hiding from you. I'm not holding out on you at all. In fact, I'm healing you. This is the nature of our God, and this is the nature of his kingdom, and this is a benefit and a blessing for the people who indwell his kingdom. I think it's worth it, because in this, we find God. See, we don't just find God in the heavens somewhere sitting on a throne. Certainly, he's there, and we'll see him with our eyes. But we can find him now in our questions and our doubts. We can find him in our brokenness and our, and our despair. We can find him in the points of pain in our life that he is there and he says, ask and I'm going to be there. Seek me, I'm going to help you in this. Just keep knocking, I'm going to open doors that no one else could open for you. I'm here in the difficult things of this life and I'm also going to be there in the heights as well. And, I'm, and we're going to find God in the blessings and the glory and the goodness of this life and the riches thereof. 
that I'm going to be able to find God in the midst of my depravity and it's also in the midst of my sanctification because he's there at work. And I'm going to find God in the midst of my enemies because guess what? My God cares about them too and he's at work in their lives. And I'm going to find God in the midst of my family because sometimes I wonder, right? It's typically because of me. But he's there and he's at work and he's not giving up and he's opening doors and he's answering prayers. I'm going to find God every day because I'm going to knock, and I'm going to keep knocking. I'm going to seek and keep seeking, but I'm going to ask, I'm going to keep on asking, and I will never stop having God's goodness in my life. That is finding God. What a wonderful way to live. So how do we practice that? Well, you know, we just can't just hear this and have faith with no faithfulness. There's got to be a next step. Followers of Jesus don't stand there and watch. There's going to be next steps. It's on your connection card. I give you some, and they're going to lead to this. It's going to be that, that point that Jesus says, that the, the culmination, the climax of, and see, it says this, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine puts them into practice like a wise man who built his house on the rock, which is why I give you those next steps. And here's the first one I'm going to challenge you to do is read the gospel of John. Why? Because John was a guy who asked questions. He was seeking God. He was knocking on heaven's door. He, as a young man, a young man, teenager, Following this crazy, bearded, sack-wearing, bug-eating man in the wilderness called John the Baptist trying to find what God wanted. And God showed up. And this is his story of how God transformed his life, how he found God. And and I think it's important for us. You're going to find God, too. You might see a lot of yourself in that story. I want you to see how God shows up. Second thing you want to do is ask, seek, and knock. Make a commitment. If you got doubts today, God isn't hiding from you. He's not there saying, I just want you to live with just gnawing doubt for the rest of your life. He's got answers. Now, he answers, you have to let God answer how he wants. But ask, keep asking, because you're going to get answers. And maybe right now, you're, you're really struggling. Am I going to pursue my way? I'm going to pursue God's way. I know what he wants. He gave me my answer, but he, is he really holding out on me? I want you to trust by faith, be faithful, live faithfully. Seek him. Seek his ways and keep seeking, because guess what? You're going to find the, the benefit of that. Or maybe, you know, you've been seeking after God and, and you feel like you've, you've been doing those things and you just don't feel like you've had that communion with Him yet. Just, just knock and keep knocking. Get to the point and say, God, I know you're in there and I know that you want to greet with me. I, I, I know. And so I'm, I'm here, I'm available. And be ready for Him to open doors. So maybe for you this week, it's the commitment to ask and seek and knock know this, that God's not going to hide from you. He's going to give good gifts, and he's there to heal you. Something else you might want to do is do that in a group, and that's what life groups are about. It's about living life in community. It's about having others around us that help us as we ask, and we seek, and we knock. Reminding ourselves of these truths, encouraging one another through these times, helping us to find God in the daily living of life. And if you're not part of a life group, you are missing out. There is so much more for you spiritually and that God has for you. And so I, I, it's, it's in Scripture, it's how the, the early church met and grew. It's so important for us to follow a good example of that. So you're not in a life group, I encourage you, make that commitment. Become part of one. If you've got a place that 80 of your friends can meet on a regular basis, then let us know. We can open your home up and, and have a place for a life group. And if you have the ability or willingness to teach, let me know because we can train you and, and help you become ready for that. The third thing you might want to do is this, and this is the most spiritual of all, make chili. 
and why. Why would I have mixed chili? Because do for others as you'd have them do for you. You know, we're going to have Ravencrest here next week. It's going to be a great time. How awful would it be for us to have this great host and then have not enough chili for them? That would be sad. But also, if you're going to bring chili, bring good chili. Do for others like you'd have them do for you. And if you are horrible at making chili, just go buy like Stag's chili or, or something like that, right? And bring it. But And also, if you make mediocre chili, that's fine. You make somebody else feel good that they can make better chili than you. It's all good. There's no bad to it. Just bring chili next week and then stick around afterwards because we're going to have a great time of fellowship and Jesse and I and some firefighters get to judge that and that's going to be fun. We're going to discern and then we're going to condemn. It's going to be great. So, but if you're here this morning and you haven't followed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's the step you need to take because all these benefits are people in God's kingdom. You've got to be born again. You've got to be part of his kingdom to have these benefits. And so if that's you, why would you want to continue to live in this world which is as close to heaven as you're ever going to get? Once you're in the kingdom of God, this is as close to hell as you're ever going to get, right? The, the world's ceiling is our floor, right? If, if you want to live in the richness of God to actually find him, then you need to be part of his kingdom. Jesus said that he is the only way and salvation comes by faith in him, right? And we have to believe that he is our Lord and Savior. And we ex we're saved by God's grace just simply through that faith. And that faith we express through our belief and our confession, our repentance, our baptism, and then our continual discipleship. If you need to take that step and walk into the great kingdom, the one that Jesus has just declared to you, well, why would you, why would you leave this morning without doing that? So if that's you, what I want you to just come talk with me or Pastor Jesse after the message. We'd be happy to answer your questions, help you take those steps of faith and to begin walking this new life. Now, hopefully, everybody here has had a chance to come up with at least one next step, right? Something they're going to do to follow God. And if I didn't come up with one for you, write your own down. What I want you to do, take these connection cards. I everyone to do that. Drop in the offering basket along with your, your prayer requests and your tithes and your offering. Drop that as, as it's passed. Your first offering of God is, is your obedience. All right, let's pray for you as you make those commitments, and then uh, and we'll take the offering. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are good and that you uh, hide nothing good from us, Lord, that you have opened the riches in the, sto the storehouse of heaven for our benefit, not for a health and wealth uh, type of lifestyle that would lead to our own selfish degradation, but, Father, that you've given us the wealth of the riches of your kingdom in our own hearts and lives, the promise of, of your provision over us, Father, the, the, the fact that we live within your pleasure. But I pray, Father, for, for us today that you would increase our faith. Help us to keep asking. Help us to keep seeking. Help us to keep knocking, Father, knowing that your promise is there, and we want to keep giving answers. We want to keep finding. We want to keep having your doors open to us, Father God. And I pray for those who might be struggling with doubt pain or, or even just temptation, even this morning. Help us to live faithfully as we trust our faith. And Father, for the commitments that we make today, help us to draw closer to you with them, Father. I pray for our tithes and our offerings as well. May your kingdom be built in Estes Park uh, for your glory because of them, Father. And we pray all of this for your glory, for you are worthy. We pray in Jesus' name.